0: Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School Policy Cast, an ongoing conversation on public policy, governance, and global issues. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader. And today, we're joined by David Hemenway, professor of health policy at the Harvard School of Public Health and director of the Harvard Injury Control Research Center. Professor Hemenway, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So it's now been more than a month since the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary. but the issues that the tragedy brought to light, namely gun control and mental health issues, are still on people's minds. In your book, Private Guns, Public Health, you offer a public health approach to tackling gun violence in the U.S. Could you explain what that means?
1: Um, so public health was a, a late entry, I think, into this whole area of um, violence, uh, but public health brings a whole different dimension than sort of criminal justice, and uh, what I would say that it's, it's hard to explain in 30 seconds, but the focus of Public health. Uh, pr- the public health approach is really about prevention, and it's always about prevention. Uh, some people like to say who's at fault, and often that pr- that precludes pre- uh, prevention. What we like to say we don't care who's who you want to blame. You can blame anybody you want. You can blame the guns. You can blame the kids. You can blame the mom. You can blame society. You can blame poverty. We don't care. Uh, we don't want to blame anybody. What we want to do is prevent. So. You don't have to blame anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, a second thing is, of course, is that we focus on populations. We're not that interested in why uh, this particular shooter did what he did or why uh, some, you know, Mary is obese. Uh, what we really want to understand is why there's so much death, violent death in the United States and why there are so many kids who are, who are overweight in the United States and what to do about it. Um, and I think the a key element Uh, in the public health approach is that you don't want to focus solely on uh, the last clear chance, the final person who did something. You want to often go upstream, which is where uh, you can have the biggest bang for the buck. You can make the biggest difference. And and I could talk about that a lot if you want.
0: Well, we we often hear uh, about these large-scale tragedies, Sandy Hook, uh, Aurora, Columbine, well before it. But are those the really important
1: uh, I think is uh, when we're talking th- about these same th- those, issues, those are important in in, in themselves, and but they are very important in terms of galvanizing activity, possibly, uh, because in every other developed country, when they had these tragedies, it, they stood up and said, "We're going to make real changes to try to make a difference." But in terms of the real costs of, of gun violence in the United States, it there's a it's a minuscule amount. I mean, every day in the United States. 85 people, on average, die from guns, and then there's all this uh, intimidation with guns, and robbery with guns, and uh, non-fatal uh, accidents and non-fatal shootings with guns. So, so this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but if it gets people interested and in, in, in focused on the problem, and and what. I think it's important for everyone to understand that compared to every other developed country, so that's sort of the 26 industrialized democracies, the United States is unique in having this huge problem. Nobody else has this size of the problem we have. Uh, Every other developed country has uh, similar rates that we have. We're sort of an average country in terms of crime. We have average crime rates in terms of burglary, robbery, assault, uh, sexual assault, um, gun theft, I mean not, um, car theft. Uh, We are, uh, our kids seem to be very similar to other kids whenever there are studies uh, in terms of things like fighting or bullying, we're sort of an average country. Uh, But where we are really different is guns. Uh, We have so many more guns than these other developed countries per capita. And we have by far the weakest gun laws. And so not surprisingly, we have lots, lots more Uh, gun homicide uh, and homicide overall and just death.
0: So how does that square with a country like, say, Switzerland, where there is a a large ownership, gun ownership? In fact, it's mandated for uh, 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 men between 20 and 30. Yeah,
1: and Switzerland, it's interesting. Switzerland um, has um, a large military. Everyone's trained in the military, but those are military guns. Uh, They are not personal guns. Uh, Sometimes you're allowed to take them home. If you take them home, you have to keep them. Uh, locked up with the ammunition separate. If you ever open the ammunition, that's a court-martial offense. Uh, uh, Switzerland has very—has— has. we have—the United States has many more private private guns per capita than Switzerland has, and Switzerland has by far stronger gun laws than we have. Indeed, I think most uh, people uh, in the United States and public health would be thrilled to have the type of gun laws uh, in the United States, that they currently have in Switzerland.
0: Now, you mentioned the large gun ownership. It, that seems to be an impediment to uh, gun control ad- for gun control advocates, wouldn't uh, it be? Y-
1: yes and no. I mean, uh, I think there's no question that we're going to have lots of guns in the United States. Um, and then the question is, how are we going to? live with these guns. Uh, this notion of, quote, gun control, people hear the words gun control, I never use that word because th- it's so laden with emotion that people think it's something about taking guns away. And really what we're thinking about is, is gun policy. And, and let me step back and just to get you to understand the public health approach, uh, a nice analogy to so many successes in public health, which is why it's a very exciting area to be in. Uh, a nice analogy is with cars. So I think we are currently um, in a situation with guns where we were with cars in um, the 1950s uh, when I was growing up. Um, In the 1950s, the car manufacturers, in effect, not these exact words, but said, cars don't kill people, people kill people. And they presented data showing that 95% of car crashes were due to driver error and most car. Deaths were due to people deliberately breaking the law. So, this was actually a law problem in some sense. Uh, and so, what should you do? Are well, you, know, you should have to focus on the driver? That's the one who's causing all the problems, right? And so, we had Driver's Ed, which turns out not to be that successful, uh, enforced the traffic laws. And it wasn't until the 50s that public health physicians asked a different question not who caused the accident, but what caused the injury. Uh, and it was clear that people were being speared by steering columns, which went right through their chest because they weren't collapsible. Their were, faces were being lacerated by uh, windshields, which were not made of safety glass. They were leaving the car, and their heads would hit the cement of the hoods, and they would die uh, because there was no seat belts and no airbags. And uh, sometimes the car, if it ever left the road, there would be trees planted along the sides of the roads, and there would be um, uh, lampposts planted along the sides of the road. You hit one of these, and you die.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And public health physicians were saying, can't we do something to make the car safer? Can't we do something to make the road safer? Can't we have a better emergency medical system? And over the past, I'd say, 60 years, cars have gotten incredibly better. Uh, roads have gotten much, much better. The EMS system is somewhat better. Uh, nobody thinks drivers are any better. Uh, we're better about alcohol. We're much worse about texting, about Uh, cell phone use, about road rage, Mm -hmm. fatalities per mile driven in the United States have fallen over 90%. And it was focusing away from the final user. It doesn't mean you shouldn't talk about the final user, do something, but you have to look at other areas. Uh, And so that's really important. And and the same way we're going to have lots of cars in the United States. Mm So and are, so what should we do? we have lots of guns. What should we do? So instead of, currently we're dying with guns, why can't we figure out how to live with guns like we do with cars?
0: So there have been a lot of regulations in states, including uh, in Connecticut, uh, uh, that have increased the safety of gun ownership in terms of having to keep uh, gun locks on, on guns, keep uh, ammunition stored separately. Mm-hmm. Yep. Has that made a
1: difference? It seems so. It's hard to, it's hard to know. I mean, what, what our studies show conclusively. Uh, is that in states like Connecticut, where there are somewhat fewer guns and stronger gun laws, uh, there are uh, few, many fewer accidental gun deaths, uh, many fewer suicides because there are so many fewer gun suicides. Guns are, the evidence is incredibly strong that a gun in the home is a risk factor for suicide for everybody in the home, the mob, you mob, know, the, the gun owner, uh, the spouse, uh, the kids, and indeed what happened at Sandy Hook, that was a suicide. Um, and uh, there's evidence that a gun in the home is a risk factor for uh, femicide. And that's what happened in this case, too. The, the, the woman got killed uh, because of the gun in the home. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence, the strong evidence, that in these states there's fewer homicides. And it, it's not as, as huge a difference uh, as, as in these other two areas because homicide guns often move. Uh, and they move from states uh, with weak gun laws uh, and lots of guns to states with strong gun laws, like Massachusetts and, and Connecticut. Um, so, but what a public health approach says is that uh, you know what what could we do about this particular case? Now, a lot of times I don't like to talk about particular cases because what you want to do is is here's a good law and it'll save lots of people. It'll save every person. Now, will it'll save every would have saved these people, perhaps not. But one of the things that what public health really tries to emphasize is that you can not just change laws, but you have to change social norms. Uh, so for example, in the motor vehicle area, a key social norm was changed was about driving. When I was a young adult, it was illegal to drink and drive, uh, but everybody did it. There was social drinking, the same way it's illegal to sp- speed five miles over the speed limit now, but everybody, you know it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but Suddenly, we had the designated driver program. We had uh, ideas such as friends don't let friends drive drunk. And they made a big difference, uh, changing social norms. Whenever now there's a crash, people, reporters, report whether there's alcohol involved. They never did that when I was young. Mm-hmm. So you get this message over and over and over, don't drink and drive, there are alternatives you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what One of the many things I would like to see uh, changed is, uh, among gun owners, um, this notion of that you should really help each other and that if somebody's going through a rough patch, say, somebody gets divorced, uh, uh, they start drinking more, uh, they start talking crazy. Mm -hmm. As friends don't let friends drive drunk, you should work together with that person and try to get the gun out of the house for a little while, because that person is at high risk for suicide. may not be high risk three months from now or six months from now, but at this crisis, they're really high risk. I think if that had been the norm in Sandy Hook, the woman would have recognized maybe everybody gets their guns out of the house when it's needed. My son's 20. And he's not doing well. Or, or her friends, her gunner friends, should have come and said, look, this kid, you know, two years from now, he may have a girlfriend and everything will be fine. But mm-hmm. right now, it's th- th- things are not, they're not seem, he does not seem right. Mm-hmm. And get the guns out of the house for a while. That's all you need to do, and I think that actually not only could have saved the suicide, which this was, and almost all, you know, the majority of these horrific shootings are suicides, but may have saved all the, the, these poor little kids.
0: So, the majority of uh, gun violence out there, if, if I understand correctly, is committed by people who haven't gotten the guns through legal means. Well, is that okay, right?
1: it depends. I mean, it's, it really depends on what you really want to divide things up. Mm-hmm. So, if you're just talking about gun death, it's mostly suicide, and it, those are almost all legal guns, mm-hmm. and it, the guns in the home. Uh, if you're talking about uh, femicide, uh, most of those are fairly legal guns. We think they're probably often usually legal guns uh, where the husband or the ex-lover kills the wife. And uh, if you're talking about the elderly, it's, it's unclear. We haven't gotten good data on that yet. If you're talking about, which is probably the majority, not all, but the majority of homicides, uh, then often you're talking about urban street crime. And those guns are typically illegal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then one of the big questions is, uh, which we want to see change, again, a normative change, is in Boston, where it's very hard to get guns, and it should be hard to get guns because there's strong laws, um, these inner-city kids um, were not born with guns. Their parents usually didn't have guns. They can't get guns by stealing guns because there aren't many people with guns. Somebody brought in those guns. Mm -hmm. And instead of focusing solely on which kid shot which kid, it's where did the gun come from, and we want reporters to start reporting every time there's a shooting, where did the gun come from? Because that's a big issue. that's mm-hmm. the issue. If adults did not bring guns in and make money doing that, that's why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. These killings, you know, what you'd have instead is maybe knifings, and mm-hmm. uh, you have to realize that, that you know the United States. All the other developed countries, as far as we can tell, they have gangs. They have uh, people who uh, have mental problems. Mm-hmm. They have people who watch violent video games. The only thing that's different, that makes us so different, is our guns and our gun policies. And, and I just want to emphasize that these differences are enormous. It's not like, oh, it's, so we, for example, looking at five to 14-year-olds, here's an age these are what these, the, you know, the, the kids who were killed in Sandy Hook, these are these are just kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How are we doing protecting our kids? A child in the United States compared to a child in uh, these other developed countries, 5 to 14-year-olds, K through 8, uh, is not just like 20% more likely to be murdered with a gun or 50% more likely or twice as likely, 13 times more likely to be murdered than an average kid, say, in in Belgium, or Japan, or Italy, or Canada, uh, the non-gun homicide rate is, is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gun suicide rate, a kid in the United States, eight times more likely to find his dad's gun. He's just got a bad you know report card, whatever it is, kill himself. Uh, our non-gun suicide rate for these kids is the same as the average of all these countries. Uh, 10 times more likely that this kid will be uh, unintentionally mur- uh, unintentionally killed with a gun. The differences are just enormous.
0: So isn't the Boston case a uh, case that gun rights advocates would use for um, the fact that people should have access to guns for well, self-protection?
1: Well, the problem is, there's two problems. One is that all the evidence is where there's more guns, there's, there's, there's more crime and there's more death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you say, okay, we have incredibly weak gun laws we make it really easy for anybody to get guns for criminals to get guns so what we should do is arm everybody um, this was sort of the the notion I remember uh, when there's hijackings uh, and Archie Bunker's solution was let's arm all the passengers uh, and it's like this was a joke 50, 20, 30 years ago when I was younger and now it's like uh, this is a potential policy and this is there's no evidence that this works. Works at all. I mean, I've done a lot of work about self defense gun use. Uh, there's just I haven't seen any evidence at all. Note that uh, guns deter anything. Um, uh, and what we know is that uh, most reported self defense gun use is not self defense gun use at all, at least in a real sense. What it is is escalating arguments. People just get angry with each other. It's very hard, you have to realize, to use a gun effectively in self defense. Um, mostly, people go through life, their life and they'll have no chance to use a gun in self-defense. Uh, you or I, probably, through, all through our lives and we'll never have a chance to use a gun. But we'll have, if we're armed all the time, we have a chance all the time, every day, to be afraid, to be angry, to be drunk, to be whatever. And that's what seems to happen, is that when you have guns around, people tend to use them uh, in a way that, that's not good. The same way um, in the Old West, uh, Dodge City. So you had cowboys coming in with guns, and what could you do? And, and sometimes they shoot each other. or that's mostly what they do. And that's what mostly gangs in the inner city—they shoot each other. They don't shoot other people. They shoot each other. Right. So what could you do? Oh, let's arm all the all the citizens, or you could do what we did, and what all the other countries do, and what we in the United States did—is you just had laws to say, keep your gun out in the range. You come into town, don't bring your gun to town, boy, mm-hmm. and. That's, that's what tamed the West, that wasn't everybody arming themselves and having shootouts continuously.
0: So uh, we're about out of time, but I wanted to get one last question. And uh, Representative Howard Coble, a Republican of North Carolina, uh, he said in an interview that he thought talk of gun control was, quote, probably a rush to judgment. Uh, and he said that, uh, quote, I think it's more of a mental health problem than a gun problem right now. Do you think that's valid? No,
1: I mean, again, uh, if you look at high gun states versus low gun states in the United States, uh, the high gun states do not have more mental health problems, but they have lots more death. Uh, if you look at across the United across the developed world, uh, we don't have lots more mental health problems. There's no evidence of that at all, uh, but we have lots, lots, lots more death, uh, and it's the guns. I mean, it's 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 not a rush to judgment. That what what it is is that this is an opportunity to do something. I mean, we've always had this problem. Mm -hmm. And now is a real chance to make a difference. Now is a real chance to protect our children. Uh, And my really feeling is, if not now, when? When are we ever going to? 25 other industrial countries look at us and can't understand. They say, when are you going to protect your own children? Your children are dying. You don't care about your children. And my feeling really is, um, God really is, um, God forgive us if we don't do anything. These are our kids. And right now, they are dying. And it's not just the kids in Sandy Hook. It's kids every day in the United States are dying from guns, and it's not happening in any other developed country nearly to the extent that it's happening here. And why are we different? It's our gun policy. Well, with that, Professor
0: Hemingway, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast. Sure. Thank you. You've been listening to PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. More information can be found at hkspolicycast.org.